1: Welcome to the Situation Report today. Glad to have you joining us. This is the show where we do our very best to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stolniker. I will be your host today. And there are so many things going on in the world. We talk about this all of the time. In fact, three times a week, we have conversations similar to this one, but there are so many things happening in the world. We can talk about what's happening culturally um, from a faith perspective, how we view what's happening culturally and so many things just just happening around the world. Things are changing. Decisions are being made. We can talk about culture, but then we look at what's happening politically and man, Every day, it seems like something major is happening. In in fact, there's something major happening so often that it doesn't seem major anymore. It's just this is what happens now, and this is how things go. We can then look at our own family situations, our own relationships, and, and our financial things that we're dealing with, the economy, all of it, right? We've got it all going on right now. Everything's happening right now. And in the process of that, we can become so distracted or overwhelmed that we don't understand um, what is happening that will have an impact on us. We can miss it. I think that one of the big changes that we've seen take place over the last couple of years is that people like me and maybe people like you have become aware that if we don't stand up and do something and push back on some of these issues, then we're going to find ourselves in a very difficult place, maybe a very dark place. People like me, I mentioned this in the interview today, that largely just want to be left alone. (laughs) We realize we're not going to be left alone, so we have to uh, stand up and do something about what's happening. Uh, But it's not always easy to know what we need to do and how we need to respond. And what that is happening is actually going to impact us. That's why we have experts on. That's why we have an expert on today to talk about uh, a few things, what's happening politically, what is important for us to understand as we approach the midterm elections. And then as we look at our economy, this is something that's on all of our minds. Are the decisions being made by our current administration going to help us economically, or are they not? What can we do about it? How should we respond? And on the other side of everything that's happening, should we have a positive outlook? Should we uh, look down the road and believe that things are going to get better, that things are going to turn around? How should we even feel about what's happening? Again, if you're anything like me, I can become Man, so overwhelmed that I just don't even want to think about it or talk about it. I want to think about the right things. I want to talk about the right things. I want to take the right actions. That doesn't mean I want to think or talk about everything, but the things that actually matter. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about, and I'm sure you've heard about this. Others have talked about it, of course. A little bit about what has uh, transpired at uh, President Trump's private residence in Florida. Um, We'll talk about that. Our guest today is a former Department of Justice attorney, so he knows exactly what he's talking about. We'll deal with that a little bit. Then we're going to talk about the IRS, the original intent of the IRS, uh, why it was put in place in the first place, why it is that uh, apparently the decision has been made to add some 87,000 new IRS agents, some of the new bills that have been passed some of the executive orders that have been signed. We're going to talk about all of that today, and I'm very grateful to have on an incredible guest. Hans von Spakovsky is with us from the Heritage Foundation, and uh, you are going to appreciate and want to share this conversation. Our guest today is Hans von Spakovsky, and um, we have so much to talk about, but thank you for joining me. I know you've been kind of on the circuit all day long. A lot to talk about. Well, thanks for having me on. Hans is, for those that don't know him, senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, former FEC commissioner and a Department of Justice lawyer, as well as an author. So many things going on in our world right now. It's hard to pick one. I wanted to talk about uh, the IRS and about uh, 87,000 new IRS agents, right. but before we get there, um, if you don't mind, let's talk about uh, what happened in Mar-a-Lago this last week. Um, it, I. I I have an opinion. It's my opinion. And I know a lot of people have opinions about what did happen, maybe what didn't happen, depending on which side of the aisle you're on. This is either deep state conspiracy stuff or it's just this is how it happens. <laughs> it depends on which side of the aisle you're on. Um, what happened? What should we be concerned about? What should we expect next?
2: Well, look, frankly, people ought to be outraged and shocked by this. And it, it doesn't really matter that this is a former Republican president. Uh, what they should be outraged about is this has never happened in the entire history of the United States. And yes. if this is about uh, presidential records, if this is about the uh, federal law on retention of federal records, and that seems to be what this is in relation to, then this is such an overreaction, so, yeah. so overboard, because, look, if the president has records that need to be returned to the National Archives, then you have DOJ's lawyers negotiate with Trump's lawyers. You have them uh, go down to Mar-a-Lago, look through the documents, see which ones actually need to go back. You negotiate a deal. E- even yeah. if that doesn't work, at the most, what do you do? You subpoena the records. But you Mm. don't authorize a FBI raid, you don't apply for a search warrant, unless you have probable cause, and with an ex-president, really substantial evidence of some kind of major crime uh, having been committed. And, And, Jeremy, keep in mind, to date, neither the FBI nor DOJ nor the January 6th Committee have produced any evidence of any kind that uh, President Trump committed Correct. some kind of major crime?
1: So, so what? What then is this? I mean, I, I have a lot of questions about right. this, just as a as a citizen, right? But also someone who's interested in politics and kind of political strategy. It, what, what's the what's the goal here from the the department or the uh, the DNC? Let's say whoever's pulling the strings here. Is this about? Uh, bullying donald trump into not running is this about throwing something else on top of the january 6th hearings and trying to go see there's other stuff what's the play i mean at least from my perspective this seems like a, a horrible um horrible optics for for the uh certainly the president and his administration
2: well look i think you're right about that um Look, before we know what, what uh, the purpose of this was, here's what needs to happen. Uh, the Justice Department needs to make public not just the search warrant, which doesn't have that much information, uh, but the application that the hmm. Justice Department submitted to the court in which they uh, produced the evidence um, that would justify issuing a search warrant and the affidavits of the FBI agents uh, in which, again, uh, they outline what the evidence is, what the probable cause is. That is the only way for us to judge whether yeah. what, the, what they did was justified or whether it was overboard. I, I'm actually hmm. surprised that they have not made that public yet, and that's frankly suspicious to me that they actually don't have uh, the justification for it. Keep in mind one other thing. Um, I think on Monday after after this had occurred, Kash uh, Patel, Kash Patel is a former member of the National Security Council, worked in the White House, was the uh, principal deputy to the director of national intelligence. Kash hmm. Patel has said publicly that he was in the White House when Donald Trump declassified uh. all of these documents. So if this search warrant was to get uh, classified documents returned, well a president has complete authority to declassify documents. And if, in fact, that is correct, then that means that the FBI may have misled the court when it claimed that uh, classified documents need to be returned if the president had already declassified them. Why is that concerning? Because, remember, the inspector general of the Justice Department issued a report on... You know, the Russia-Trump collusion investigation conducted by the FBI. And in that investigation, the FBI also misled the FISA court, did not tell them all the facts in the case, did not tell them the exculpatory evidence. Basically, they misled the court in order to get those eavesdropping warrants from the FISA court. I hope this is not a repeat of their misbehavior back then. Yeah.
1: As you know, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Now, Mike has done it again by introducing his My Slippers. For a limited time, you will save $90 on a pair of My Slippers. This blowout sale of the year won't last, so order now. Mike has taken two years to develop the My Slippers, and they are designed to wear both indoor and out all day long. Made with MyPillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue, they are also made with quality leather suede. Call 1-800-870-0283, use the promo code SITREP, or go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code SITREP. This offer will not last long, so order now with promo code SITREP at MyPillow.com. Can you explain the process of getting a warrant? I I would imagine it's not the same as if you have, uh, I, I don't know, a gang member in your community and the police department believes there's a reason to go into their residence. It has to be a different process when we're talking about a former president. Can you explain that a little bit?
2: Well, you go to a court and you basically say that you have probable cause to believe that a crime has been committed. And you have to provide supporting uh, documentation. Usually it's an affidavit from a police officer or an FBI agent in which they provide facts to support that probable cause hearing. But also, again, keep in mind the difference between a search warrant and a subpoena. Um, Mm. For a search warrant, you really need to demonstrate that... um, a subpoena is not going to work. That the individual is a major right. criminal who's going to destroy right. evidence, who may flee the jurisdiction. Uh, I, I don't think anybody could claim that that yeah, uh, right. they're right. going to destroy documents at the home where Donald Trump is not <laughs> or that he's going to flee the jurisdiction.
1: Right now, um, my understanding is that the FBI, I think it was, as well as the some folks from the National Archives. Um, had a meeting with Donald Trump and his folks, at least, or his attorneys, earlier this year. Right. And, and what President Trump said was it was a very good conversation. We worked through some things. I think some documents were handed over at that time. Yeah, fif- how, 15 how, boxes. How does this, 15 so how does boxes. this connect to that? How did they make the case then that he was unwilling to cooperate?
2: Well, see, that's what I don't understand. Because apparently they did turn over 15 boxes of documents. So clearly the president had already cooperated with the National Archives, why in the world would they suddenly issue this kind of search warrant instead of talking to the president again, like I said, negotiating and saying, oh, well, there are also other documents that you need to return. This just doesn't make a lot of sense based on what we know to date, which is why the Justice Department needs to publicly release everything that that search warrant application was based on.
1: Yeah. It's unbelievable. I guess we'll see how it unfolds. Um, what is, I know you can't know this, but I'm sure you have a crystal ball right there in the studio with you. Uh, what What does Donald Trump do next? Uh, people have said, well, he'll announce soon or, um, you know, this will become kind of a, a rallying cry. W- what happens next based on this?
2: Well, I think from a legal standpoint, um, you know, one of the routes he could take is to have his lawyers go to court if he believes that these documents were improperly taken from him, that they're not government yep. documents, that they're his own personal documents. Keep in mind, remember, that's what Hillary Clinton did. Yep. She, in fact, she had her lawyers destroy over 30,000 emails yep. Yep. that she said were her personal emails, and the FBI not only never charged her, they didn't raid her house over this.
1: Right, right. Crazy. Man, we'll see. What a crazy time, uh, certainly, to um, be in the in the back seats <laughs> watching right. all of this unfold. Um, and in conjunction with all of that. So there's the presidential stuff going on. We'll see what happens. Midterms are coming up. Um, but recently, an announcement was made that the IRS will grow by some 87,000 right. new agents right. based on uh, legislation, a bill that the, the president signed. Um, I'd like to do two things. One is start in the beginning. What is the function of the IRS? So at its founding, why do we have the IRS? Where did it come from? And then with with that as our backdrop, I'd like to move to where we are now, where where we have come. But when you talk about the IRS or we talk about as Americans, where did it come from? Why do we have it? Why is it necessary? (laughs) One would argue maybe it's not necessary, but um, why did it start? And then we'll talk about how we got to where we are right now.
2: Well, as you know, we passed an amendment uh, in the early nineteen hundreds to put in an income tax which had never existed before in the United States. And the yeah. IRS was formed to uh, basically collect uh, the income tax from American citizens and also as we put in things like so the uh, like social security, to also collect uh, the taxes that people have to pay. you know there's a social security tax there are. Medicaid and other taxes. So that's the IRS's job. Um, Adding 87,000 agents when there's been no showing that right now the IRS has a problem collecting taxes. Yeah. There was no evidence produced that they are somehow falling behind or that there are so many recalcitrant taxpayers who are not willing to pay that they can't collect it all. And it's very odd, too, given that. it would be much more useful for us if they had um, appropriated the money for 87,000 new border patrol agents,
1: right. given right. That,
2: that the right. board, we are being flooded with more illegal aliens coming across the southern border than ever recorded before, and instead uh, they want more IRS agents. And this, to the agency, remember, Lois Lerner, the IRS uh, supervisor who was targeting conservative organizations, yep. that was uh, uh, found by the inspector general of the IRS. She retired. There were no consequences for her. And it's that agency that suddenly we're going to give a huge boost to.
1: One of the uh, reasons that's been given is the climate and tax bill um, that's been recently passed. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? I, I, again, there's so much there's so much going on, and it's there's so much to be distracted with and to be concerned about. That things like this happen, and a lot of people don't even know it happened, or they right. hear that it's a climate bill. Um, so this is probably good for us, and they just let it pass. Then we understand eighty-seven thousand federal agents are being added to the government on the back of this. What is this bill? What will it do? How will it will it affect people like, like me, like a normal guy living in a track home in Southern California?
2: Uh, it's going to make your life much more difficult. Um, yeah.
1: This bill
2: is filled with bad provisions that are going to make inflation even worse, that are going to deepen the economic recession and lead uh, to people losing their jobs, uh, getting lower wages. And it's filled with all these supposedly Uh, clean energy provisions that are going to make energy costs rise even more. I mean, you think the price of gas is bad now? You think the the rising price of electricity uh, and other utilities is bad? Wait till these regulations go into effect, and that problem will get even worse. Um, You know, California is a state that regularly has brownouts because it has refused to develop – uh, new energy production for its right. population. Well, right. that's the kind of experiences the people around the country are going to have because of this really, really bad bill.
1: What is it about um, the ideology of the left, I won't even say liberal ideology, but the ideology of the American left that is willing to take the legs out of citizens financially, economically, for something like this? Is it that those on the left, they just don't care about money? They don't care about people being able to take care of their families? What is it about the ideology that that pushes this, particularly at a a time of uh, incredible inflation and so many other economic issues and global unrest? Why is now the time that someone on the left said, you know what, this is what we need to do. We need to make things worse.
2: Uh, If they were taking a basic class in economics, they would all get F's. I mean, they just don't—they just don't learn from history. They think you can spend your way yeah. out of uh, recession and these kind of economic problems, and they don't understand that uh, the more you tax individuals and businesses, the more you print money that you can't actually uh, sustain or pay for, it, the worse the situation is going to get. And they just refuse to learn from history and refuse to. Um, take the kind of steps necessary uh, to actually make this be a prosperous country. Look, it was when Ronald Reagan came into office, we were in a recession. We had inflation all left over from uh, uh, Jimmy Carter. And it was his tax cuts. It was uh, uh, getting rid of, of burdensome regulations that led to one of the biggest economic recoveries in our nation's history. And remember... We had the same thing happening with Donald Trump. Uh we had yep. low gas prices, we didn't have yep. inflation, we had uh terrific employment. In fact, we had the lowest unemployment ever recorded in yep. uh, since they started recording it.
1: Yep. Um I I think it's well for me, the optimistic look is to say, well, they're just ignorant of history. Um, is there a larger goal at stake here? And again, this is the conversation a lot of people are having right now is there's no way they can be that ignorant of just history and how math works. Although maybe um, I have a 12 year old. He really struggles with math. So maybe they're all operating at that level. I have no idea. Um, but is it simply ignorance of how things work or is there a larger agenda, particularly with you know the climate stuff?
2: Oh, no, I think there is a larger agenda with many of the individuals pushing this. I mean, they are uh, Marxist uh, socialists at heart. They yeah. believe the government should control uh, our lives from birth to death. They think the government should control the economy. They don't like the kind of capitalist system yeah. uh, we have. And they, they want a central government that could basically can tell everyone in every business, what to do and yeah. and when to do it. And these kind of huge spending bills, particularly the ones that increase the power of the government with uh, more burdensome regulations and more federal agents of every kind to enforce this uh, against us, that, that furthers their their goal.
1: Yeah, I, and I think it's important to say that. I think we have to accept the fact, or at least understand the fact that there there is an alternate agenda. It's not just a different way of doing things. Sometimes right. I think we look at it and go, well, they just have a different perspective on how to get things done. But that, that's not really it. They have a very different picture of what America right. should look like, and they're doing exactly what they need to do. This is my commentary, <laughs> exactly what they need to do to get to that picture. This is not simply a different way of doing business.
2: Oh, no, you're right about that. Um... Look, they don't believe in the rule of law. They believe that when people are in power, their people are in power. They should be able to do whatever they, they want yeah. to do that will yeah. further their goals. And to them, you know, the Constitution, with its limits on the power of government, with its uh, individual freedoms for Americans like uh, freedom of speech, the Second Amendment, uh, those are things that just should be disregarded and written yeah. out of the Constitution yeah. if it interferes with what they
1: want to do. Yeah. Yeah. What a crazy thing. Um, And then the next crazy thing is, (laughs) there's so many, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, I I will not insult you by asking if that's going to help inflation, Um, but I will ask, why is it not going to help inflation? What what a crazy, uh, again, it's more spending to bring down costs, but um, what should we know about the um, Inflation um, Reduction Act?
2: Well, look, it raises taxes, which is the worst thing you can do um, in a recession, uh, is raising taxes. And, you know, part of it is increases in corporate taxes. Well, corporations yep. don't pay taxes. Uh, those costs are simply passed on to consumers. So it's all of us that will pay the, the costs of that. Uh, the, the further restrictions on energy production, the um, trying to put in provisions that will drive the coal industry, for example, out of business, uh, is going to cause huge problems. You know, coal pro- coal provides something like 60 percent of the electricity in this country. Um, and uh, those kind of restrictions on energy production, including on fossil fuel production, uh, is just going to make everything more expensive, make fuel even Uh, less available than it already is because of the current crisis we're in. It's just one thing after another like that that is going to cause our economic problems to get worse.
1: What are some of the other decisions being made by the administration? Um, I mean, President Biden has signed, uh, I think, more executive orders than any president in history. I think that's true. Um, And and these things like this continue to happen. Uh, What are some of the things you're, you're concerned about that maybe people aren't talking about?
2: Well, look, we have midterm elections coming up, which are very important. And last year, Joe Biden issued an executive order doing something he has no statutory or constitutional authority to do. He directed all federal agencies to get involved in registering voters, helping Mm -hmm. them apply for and submit um, uh, mail-in ballots, et cetera. So you have uh, departments like Uh, the Justice Department, Social Security Administration, even the Bureau of Prisons, trying to interfere in the election process. Um, More than half a dozen secretaries of state, uh, who are the chief election officials, have sent a letter to Biden protesting over this, and he doesn't have authority to be doing this. And, uh, Jeremy, think about this. Um, The Social Security Administration, the Veterans Administration, who are they dealing with in their offices? a lot of vulnerable Americans, particularly people applying for benefits. What are those people going to think when the government agent, the government clerk they're dealing with says, oh, well, while we're reviewing your application for (laughs) benefits, by the way, uh, you need to register to vote. Oh, and you need to vote in the upcoming election. Can I help you with your absentee ballot? What are those people going to think? Oh, boy, I better do this, and I better vote for the... A political party in power otherwise my benefits might not get approved
1: yeah and um, election integrity I think is is probably the whole game right now it we're is. coming in we're coming into the midterms and um, I, I believe that if Donald Trump were to become the president in the next six months again <laughs> um, he could turn a lot of this around I'm very concerned that even um, with the regaining of the house and the Senate that the Republicans will not take the necessary steps to deal with our economic issues, to deal with the climate, you know, bills that are being proposed to deal with China and some of the other uh, threats that we have to make sure that our election integrity is what it needs to be. What can, if the Republican party takes control back of Congress at large, what can they do? What should they do immediately to uh, regain control of, a lot of what's been lost in just the last 18 months or so.
2: Well, the big problem, of course, is going to be there will still be a Democratic president that is is able to veto uh, anything they pass. On the other hand, remember, um, the House of Representatives' big power that it has is the power of the budget. You know, they are the ones who appropriate the funding that allows Mm. the executive branch to operate. And frankly, I think what they need to do is to if they can't get bills passed that for example void this latest terrible bill then what they need to do is use the budget and appropriations process to refuse to fund it not provide the money that would allow all these regulations to be put in place to allow these executive branch departments to operate to implement all of these provisions Um, that would necessitate them risking the government shutting down because mm-hmm. a budget doesn 't get approved, but that would be a good thing, you know yeah the more yeah. the government is shut down, the less trouble <laughs> the less right. trouble it 's causing for all of us
1: yeah, yeah that 's right, um, as you look down the road, not just to the midterms but the midterms and beyond, uh, with everything that we 're dealing with right now and, and your your grasp of history and kind of historical ups and downs. Are you optimistic about our future? Is this a we've passed the red line, we can't go back, or is this there'll be some pain, but we'll get back to where we need to be how do you how do you view the next you know four or five years?
2: no i I'm actually optimistic, and the reason for that is if you look at American history, there have been some very pivotal times in our history uh, where we've had very dangerous events occurring. And the American public, what people used yeah. to call the silent majority, rallied, yeah. Yeah. and we worked our way through those problems. And I think we're actually at that point now. Look, you've seen folks at the grassroots basically waking up all over the country um, and seeing the terrible things uh, happening in their schools, in their yep. local governments, yep. and elsewhere, and starting to do something about it. Um, it's, you know, the best example of this is parents suddenly started showing up at local school board meetings questioning the propaganda poison being poured into their kids' minds. And the left has been very worried and upset about that.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, no, that's good. I I, I do certainly believe that an awakening has taken place and is taking place. And um, it is so crazy to see what's happening, but to see people who have just kind of – this is me, right, as a conservative – I just want to be left alone. <laughs> I'm yes. like, just leave me alone. Leave me yes. alone. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. Just leave me alone. But I think people like me, many others have finally said, all right, well, I guess they're not going to leave us alone. So we need to do something about it. And and that's a very good thing. And I'm I'm happy, hopefully, that we're going to start seeing this turn around. Hans, where can people follow your work and, and learn more about what you're involved in? Uh,
2: if they go to heritage.org, heritage.org, they can see everything I, I write and talk about. And even when I... Get published elsewhere, like at Fox News. Um, that eventually gets republished uh, at heritage.org. So that's the best place to go.
1: I, I want to. I, I want. I want to bring us to a close. Um, but I've got one more question. Talk. Sure. Can you talk about Heritage real quick? I should have asked you this. This at the top. But the work of the Heritage Foundation is so important, and you know you're a key member there. Um, can you explain to our audience why they should be involved with the Heritage Foundation? Because I think that's really important too.
2: Well, we're the largest and most broadly supported conservative think tank in the United States. And, you know, what we believe in is a strong defense, uh, a small government, uh, less taxes, yeah. and a civil society in which everyone has the opportunity to, to prosper. And we work on these issues every day, uh, doing what we can to convince uh, not just the public, but uh, the executive branch, state legislators, uh, and Congress that, that the policies that we're pushing are the best uh, for the nation yeah. and for everyone who who lives here. And, by the way, we don't take any money from any government uh, agencies of any kind, uh, and almost all of our support comes from individuals. We don't take huge amounts of money yeah. from corporations and others either.
1: It's it's, uh, it's amazing. I think the Heritage Foundation, there are many great organizations, but I think probably more than any other produces content that is very actionable, um, articles, uh, but but education, um, video series, so much stuff that citizens can learn about our country, things we should have learned that we didn't, and uh, very actionable dealing with what's happening in the world right now. So uh, thank you for what you guys do. And uh, Hans, thank you so much for spending some time with us and I uh, look forward to talking again. Really, really appreciate it.
2: Sure thing. Thanks for having me.
1: Yes, sir. Very thankful for guests like Hans uh, this is why we have guests on just about every episode. There are episodes, of course, that I do solo, and I share some of my thoughts and feelings about what's happening with you, and I hope those are a help to you as well. But we often have guests like Hans on, experts in their field, people who have experienced this, who have real-world interactions with uh, the people making decisions, and people who have a real-world history with uh, those who are involved in what's happening in our political system right now, what's happening economically right now. Hans is one one of those people. Grateful for him and uh, really thankful for the work of the Heritage Foundation. I, I, I ended the the um, interview by kind of stopping and going back <laughs> saying, hey, wait, before we quit, uh, let's talk about the Heritage Foundation. And I did that because if you're not aware of their work, you need to be. Go and check them out. Uh, they produce so much incredible helpful content. It's content that is tied to the heritage, the Heritage Foundation, the heritage of the United States, going back to our founding, uh, our founding documents, our founding fathers, the decisions that were being made that established what we have today. Uh, historically, gaining historical perspective on what has happened uh, politically, economically, socially, culturally, what has happened. Uh, incredible thinkers there. Uh, So many good resources, uh, as well as a couple of video series on the Constitution and understanding the Constitution, what it means and how we can apply it to our lives. Things there for young people as well. Please go and check out the Heritage Foundation. Uh, You won't be disappointed. Great content there. Also, follow Hans on social media or follow his writings, as he mentioned, at the Heritage Foundation, and uh, you'll be glad that you did. Really appreciate you watching and or listening. If you're not yet subscribed to the podcast, you need to subscribe. Don't trust your memory or our social media to let you know when a new episode comes online, subscribe. Those episodes will be directed to you as they come online Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays every single week. And uh, we'd love for you to be aware of that. So subscribe to the podcast, follow us as well on social media, look for The Situation Report. You'll find us there. Thank you. And we will talk to you next time. Many of you know that my day job is working for an organization called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. I've had the opportunity to work with the Mighty Oaks Foundation for a little over 10 years now and very grateful for that opportunity. I served in the United States Marine Corps and left in 2003. When I came back from Iraq and got out of the Marine Corps, I transitioned and had some of the same struggles that many of our veterans today have. Uh, That transition time can be very, very difficult. I moved on with the help and support of my family and others in my close-knit community and really, in many ways, tried to walk away from my service. It was too hard, too difficult for me to look back, to remember, to stay connected, and so I chose not to. About 10 years after I walked away, I was reconnected with many of the men that I had served with uh, in Iraq and even before that Iraq deployment and came to understand that so many of the men that I served with did not do well. I came home and I struggled, but I had a family around me and I had a community around me that helped me to get back on my feet and continue moving forward. So many of those that I had served with, however, did not have the same opportunity. They came home and didn't have that family around them, that community that could lift them up. And so they made some decisions, decisions that we talk about often in the veteran community. I was reminded about 10 years after my service, That some of the men that I served with in Iraq came home and struggled and decided that it would be best for them to end their lives. Others who had not taken their lives, but who had struggled from one relationship to the next, from one job to another, and had never really gotten back on their feet. I learned after 10 years that walking away from my military service was not really an option. (laughs) You see, we think we can hang our uniform in the closet for the last time and walk away, but our obligation to those that we served with remains. It was at that time that I had the opportunity to get connected to the Mighty Oaks Foundation. It was just getting started. I met our founder, Chad Robichaud, and together we began to work on what is today a national nonprofit serving veterans, active duty service members, and more and more, the first responders in our community. That's what we do. You see, Chad served in the Marine Corps as well, and both of us have an understanding, and so many of the folks, many, many folks that work with us now who served in the military and in the first responder community understand that we may get out, we may hang the uniform up, but we still have an obligation to care for those who have served or are serving. That's exactly what we do at the Mighty Oaks Foundation every single day. We run programs across the country for those who have served veterans or are serving active duty service members, those who are serving in their community as first responders, police officers and firefighters and others in that first responder community. We serve them by helping them to understand that there is life beyond their service, that their identity should be wrapped up in more than a uniform or a job that they've done or are doing that there is a purpose, that there is a plan. In fact, that God the Creator has something He intends for them, and that if they'll simply align their lives to the life that He has for them, so much of the trauma, so much of the difficulties, so much of their past, so many of those things that have a hold on them, they may not go away, but they won't maintain the hold and the control. Here's the message we try to convey and communicate. There is hope, and there is a community of people found within the Mighty Oaks Foundation that understand where you've been because we've been there. We don't have it all figured out. We're certainly not perfect, but we've taken some steps to move forward, and we want to take you with us. That's what we do. How do we do that? Again, by communicating the fact that there is hope, by connecting with others who've been there and know how to move forward, and by getting around you and supporting you as you begin to take those very important steps yourself. The Mighty Oaks Foundation is blessed to have supporters across the country that make it possible for us to do the work that we do at no cost to the veteran, the active duty service member, or the first responder. For you to attend our program, you simply need to set aside five days and come to one of our locations, one of our facilities. We'll do the rest. There will be no cost to you for the program, no cost for the transportation to get you to the program. We do all the planning and all the logistics. You simply need to get there. We want to remove every obstacle for you to get the help, the encouragement, the strengthening, (laughs) the hope, the renewal that you need. We're thankful for the opportunity to do that. Perhaps you are not a veteran or a service member. You're not in the first responder community, but you care about those who have served and are serving our communities. Well, you may fall into the other category then. Perhaps you're someone that can support what we do financially to make it possible for those folks to come along. Maybe your support is not financial support, but you know someone in your community, in your town, in your church, uh, in a club or something else that you're a part of that could use this kind of support and encouragement. Plug them in. Let us help them. Let us get them on the road. No cost to them. We want to do the work, but we need you to get them to us. That was a lot of words. If you listen to the show, you know I say a lot of words sometimes. So Let me point you to the one place where you can get all your questions answered. MightyOaksPrograms.org is our website. MightyOaksPrograms.org. There you will find more information about what we do as an organization. There's an application for those who would like to apply. Fill that application out. Our team will get back to you, set everything else up. If you would like to support the work of the Mighty Oaks Foundation, you'll find a place to do that there as well. And there is also a section for resources. So many of you know people who need help, but may not start by coming to a program, attending a program, but they would read a book, they would watch a video, they would listen to a testimony. We have those resources there. For you as well. So please come and join us at the Mighty Oaks Foundation's website, MightyOaksPrograms.org. Our veterans, active duty members, and first responders need our support. Maybe you're in that category. You need our support. And that begins by going to the Mighty Oaks Program's website, MightyOaksPrograms.org.